Um, let me ask a question and raise a hand. How many of you guys are beach people? I know some of I know some of my students in here are like beach people. How about how many of you guys uh, like theme parks when you go on vacations? And the kids raise their hand. Oh, Lewis likes theme parks. Do you giggle on rides like like David Kinray does? Good. <laughs> His children are laughing at it. Um, but all right, how about um, how many of y'all love to visit historical places? Yeah. Okay. So my wife probably knows what I'm getting ready to say in that you need to go on vacation to Richmond, Virginia. And that sounds kind of dumb in some ways to some people. People are like, Richmond, Virginia. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I, I, I love my hometown. Um, but Richmond, Virginia, I tell people this all the time. It's the best vacation spot on the planet because it's two hours for everything cool. All right? It's two hours from the beach. You could get up in the morning on a Saturday morning. We've done this when we lived there. Say, what do you want to do today? 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock, eat breakfast, say, hey, let's go to the beach. You get in the car and you drive to the beach. You know? Later on that afternoon, you say, what do you want to do now? Let's go to the mountains. And you get in the car and you drive four hours and you, you watch the sunset on a mountain. I'm not joking. It's like, it's perfect, okay? You get up, you want to go to D.C., visit historical sites. You want to be the best museums on the planet. You're right there. There are four theme parks all around it, all this kind of stuff. I'm telling you, just that's around Richmond, but in Richmond's cool stuff too. Now, this is not a commercial for Richmond, Virginia, or anything along those lines. I'm just, just thinking about this message and thinking about it, because here's the deal. I was raised my hand. I didn't ask the question, but how many of y'all are mountain people? I'm a mountain guy, man. I want to go to the mountains. You know, I don't like where sand gets when I go to the beach. Um, you know, it's not, it's not my thing. Um, but when gas was cheap way back in the day, and Kel and I were young, we used to just get up and we would say, hey, where do you want to go? And we would get in the car, and we would drive up into the mountains. And um, there were some waterfalls and such that we liked to visit. We'd go drive on the Blue Ridge Parkway, which was not a good idea because the car didn't have good brakes, and that's not a good idea on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Um, we would watch the seasons change up in the mountains. We would do all kinds of stuff because we had seasons in Virginia. Um, and, you know, it was just um, it was awesome to be able to do that. I love the mountains. There's something mystical about them in some kind of way, especially the Blue Ridge Mountains where we grew up because they're old. They're so old. Um, you know, they're, they're rounded over on the top. There's trees everywhere and all this kind of stuff. And, and you think about, like, the explorers of old who walked in these places. And it's just, it, there's something about them. But when you get up on top of a mountain, um, you can see things that you have never seen before from the vista up there. Um, I remember going to High Creek, or High it's in near Nashville. I just totally went out of my head there. Uh, huh? Fall Creek Falls. Yes. It's where they filmed The Last of the Mohicans. And I remember standing up on this precipice right on the edge of this valley in this mountain and, like, looking out and seeing things and realizing for a second that when you stand on mountains, things look different. The world seems small. The air is thinner. You know, temperature cooler and crisper. Things are enhanced. Mountains just create this, this sense of that. And religions around the world have built their temples on top of mountains. Um, you know, the highest point of faith seems to find its place on top of a mountain, no matter what religion you're talking about. But getting to the top of a mountain, it takes work. All right? If you are hiking, which I used to love to do, and I have bad ankles and knees, and I don't like to do it as much anymore. But if you are hiking, it takes work. You're going to perspire or perspire, whatever that is. And you're going to find your way to the top of this thing, whatever trail that you take. 
hopefully, okay? But if you're driving too, have, this is one of those things, I don't know if you've noticed, I see it around here a lot, but you know, you're driving up through a mountain and you think, what did it take to get this road here? Somebody originally cut all these trees and then they got to a point where they couldn't turn this thing anymore and they start digging into that mountain and they drop lines of dynamite and they're blowing stuff up and all this kind of stuff just so that you can get your car around this thing. And, but it's still, it's taxing. You can feel it. It's hard. Getting to the top of a mountain is not easy. But mountains, they bring us thrills, okay? Right? Like I said, the views, the beauty, the purity, the challenge of it, but they can be dangerous too. There's a danger of falling off that cliff or that precipice. I know my wife knows I'm not the most coordinated person on the planet. You all should know that too in case I try to play sports around you. But standing on that precipice at that thing, she was probably freaking out. My, my husband is going to die in this moment right here. But she's still not nodding. I, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe she has more faith in me than I thought. But there's danger of being at the top and falling. You know, you may not be able to get to the top. Um, there's the danger of tumbling down the mountain, which we see a lot on ski retreat. Um, so it happens, you know, tumbles and everything along those lines. But if you climb a mountain without preparing for it, you might find yourself in trouble. And uh, this happened to Kel and I about four years ago, and it happened on that mountain to the right, not the big ones on the left. That's a picture we took, because I had my phone, but we, we left about four years ago. We went on a trip to Las Vegas to, um, not to do things that you normally do in Vegas, but um, Kelly, if you don't know, is, is a... Uh, has a degree in dance and choreography, and one of her former students is the lead in one of the, the biggest shows on the Vegas Strip. And so we went to see her show and to hang out with her. We hadn't seen her for a really long time. And um, so she took us out to Red Rock Canyon State Park, which if you haven't been there, it's beautiful. It's not huge high mountains or anything like that, but we thought, hey, let's go hiking, okay? And so we drove out, and we got to this little parking lot, and we get out, and we start following this trail, those of you who are listening on podcast, that was air quotes that everybody laughed at because we went on a trail um, that uh, we found out about three hours later was actually just a creek bed or a drainage bed or something along those lines. And we followed this thing for a long time until we got to kind of the top of this mountain and realized that there was nowhere else for us to go except down the cliff or back down the way that we come, we, we were really sure that we were just going to find a trail up there that would get us back around to where we were going, and it just didn't happen. We went up on this mountain. We did all this kind of stuff. We had one bottle of water each in the Las Vegas desert because we're stupid. And, um, you know, so we, we went, we just went, we went up the mountain, you know. Now, I will say that, you know, that... That little, like, angled rock right there, it doesn't look very big, but that thing's about 30 feet long. Okay, we're, we're, we're up there. Okay, so it's a long ways up. But we found ourselves in a place where we literally are looking at each other, and we were lost on the top of a mountain. But I can honestly tell you that it was probably, it might have been one of the best days of my life. It was just, it was fun. It was exciting because we were in that environment. We knew we could make our way back, you know, 
but the mountaintop experience is something amazing, no matter what you're dealing with. So this morning, we're going to look at one of the top um, mountaintop experiences found in Scripture. It's a really important piece of Scripture. Danny mentioned it just a second ago. It is Transfiguration Sunday um, in the United Methodist Church, and um, all around the world, people are talking about this piece of Scripture today. And like I said, it's a very, very important one. It comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 17, but I want to set the stage for you just a little bit. And actually, our music this morning set that stage, which is really awesome, um, because there's so much of it that, that plays into this. And I don't know if you guys, and Nick hates, he's probably back there getting ready to push slides for me, but he doesn't like to get attention about this, so, but I'd like to throw him under the bus with good attention. Sometimes that, you know, I just gave him a piece of scripture and said, hey, I trust you to pick some great songs for this. And they were so perfect to help lead us into this place. And so I just really appreciate that wherever you are, Nick. And, um, but in chapter 16, Jesus is confronted by a bunch of religious leaders, um, Pharisees, Sadducees, um, and they're asking him to produce a sign of his power. And, um, I mean, this, I mean, he's already been doing miracles. He's already been, this, you know, he just got finished, like, feeding the 5,000 and, the, and the, then the second time through with the 4,000. So, I mean, he's like, it's not like there's not a sign of his power somewhere already, okay? But they're asking him to do this one more time. And uh, I love the way Jesus deals with some of this stuff. As he looks at him and says, hey, listen, you know, when the sky's red in the evening, you know what this means. When it's red in the morning, you know what that means. You can figure out what the weather is because you can look at the signs. You know exactly what you're looking for. And I've already shown you. It's basically what he's saying in the midst of that. And then he makes this statement. He's like, it's only the wicked generations that look for a sign. And that's scary, right? We start thinking about the times that we ask God to look, we look for signs from God and things like that, and we think, oh, maybe we should just trust who he is. Okay? Maybe that's the best place in this. And so after he, he's doing this a little bit later, he's asking his disciples, who, who, you know, these guys are asking me to prove a sign of who I am. Who do people around you say that I am? And they tell him the gossip that they've heard about. He's a prophet. He's this. He's, he's come, you know, from the old and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, he's Elijah, all these different things. And then he says, okay, that's what you've heard around, but who do you, talking to his disciples, his people that follow him, who do you say that I am? And this is where Peter makes his declaration. We sang it um, a little while ago. He speaks up and he says that, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And it's, and it's really the first time that, you know, somebody just makes this declaration about who he is in Scripture. And when they do that, when he hears that, it's important for all of us in that moment. But he looks at Peter and he says, this is something that's been revealed to you by my father. This is more than just you deducing what's going on. God has said something to you. And so there's this understanding. You know, the thing that he had just said to the, to the religious leaders, you can figure this out by looking around. Peter is the one who's figured it out. God has spoken to him, and he declares this stuff. And that's the setting that we go into as we look at Matthew 17. And this is what that word says. It's going to pop up there on the screen in just a second. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So this morning, as we, as we take a look at this piece of Scripture, I want us to pull out a few things so that we can, we can gather some stuff. Because I've, I know I've said this before, this is an extremely important piece of Scripture. Not that all the rest of them aren't important. Get, you get what I'm saying, right? But first and foremost, they're going up on a mountain, right? My favorite place. So it's going to be special. We've already talked about that. Special things happen at mountaintops. And so this is, this is getting ready to be something different than where they've been in the past. It take, it's going to take some work to get there. But the second thing about this is that Jesus is there with friends. And this, this inner circle of, of misfits that he's got around him, um, Peter, James, and John, these guys are um, they're all fishermen, they're all kind of, my, my family were commercial fishermen, my mom's side, my grandfather, all my you know, cousins and everything like that. They own seafood companies. They're rough folk, okay? They're rough around the edges. They're hardworking people. Their hands are like leather, okay? You know, if you shake their hand, you don't shake their hand. You shake 15 years of, of work in between you and their hand. That's the way it feels like, you know. They are hardworking people, and they're, they're, they're tough, Okay? But he's taken these three guys, Peter, James, and John. He takes them around different places, just the three of them. And they kind of are known theologically as his inner circle. But obviously Peter has some insight because God has spoken to him in that respect. Um, If you don't know much about James, most people don't because James was the first martyr in the church. He's the first person to give his life for his faith. And so his life didn't last very long after Jesus was resurrected. So he might have lived about 20, 30 years longer, okay? John, he's called the disciple that Jesus loved. So he's really close with this guy. I mean, he's, he entrusts his mother to John from the cross. These guys are, they're tight, okay? But they're misfits, right? Peter's got a big mouth, says stupid things, tries to kill people, okay? Somebody comes to get Jesus, he's going to take them out not going to happen. Looks at Jesus, says, you're not going to get taken away. I mean, to the point where Jesus takes this guy aside and says, hey, listen, get behind me, Satan. You are acting like the devil, okay? That, he's, a, he's crazy, <laughs> but he's, he's Peter, all right? James and John, they come with their mother at one point in time, and their mother, you know, does the whole, like, will you put my son on either side of you in your kingdom and everything along those. But those guys are standing there with her, right? They don't say, no, mom, stop. They're like, Mom, give me a cool spot, okay? But, you know, these guys, they're, they're not anything super special. They're only special because God is going to empower them for a particular purpose. Not because they're any better or they're more suited. So this inner circle thing, it's, it's, not, it's not about being better. It's about being equipped. And they're being equipped in that purpose um, because God is going to look for them to do something in the future. Now, there are also some other people there, some more Jesus' close and trusted friends that we don't talk about a lot when we look at this piece of Scripture. There's Moses and there's Elijah. 
Right? We've sung this from the beginning today too. You were there in the beginning. Jesus has been there in eternity from the beginning. And so Moses and Elijah, when they are there in eternity before Jesus comes to earth, Jesus is with them as well. Okay? So Moses and Elijah are there. Moses has been on a mountain with God before, right? He went up there and he got some tablets called the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston made a movie about it. And, you know, he comes down from the mountain. He's been on the mountaintop. He's experienced God. Even from the point where he came down from the mountain, his face was shining like the sun to the point they had to put a veil over his face. And then when he would go in, he would take it off when he was with God, but he would cover his face because it was so bright from being in the presence of God. Elijah is there. You've heard his story as well. He had a mountaintop experience with God where he's listening in the storm and in the thunder and everything, and then in the midst of all of it, he hears this small voice that speaks to him. He's been on the mountaintop too. These two men are really important when we look at this piece of scripture because they represent two things that Jesus has come to fulfill. He's come to fulfill all of the law and the prophets, everything that they've said. So Moses represents the law. God gave him the law. He brought it to the people. It helped them understand sin and gave them the opportunity to live for God. Elijah was the first of the prophets. He worked in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he spoke God's word in a time when they were lost, in the time of the kings. He's the one who broke the ice and made it happen. He's also the one who never died as well. He was taken up in a chariot of fire and chariot of horses. You know, it's not the movie, but he's on his way there. And so this, this, these two guys, they're, they're huge, and they represent what God has been doing through history. And now they're in a conversation with Jesus. He's on the mountaintop with his friends, Peter, James, and John. He's with his friends, Moses and Elijah, who have been working alongside him for a long time, even into eternity. So as we think about this, as we look at it, I think we can be encouraged that your gifts, your talents, my gifts, my talents, our resources are put to purpose. That you don't have to have all your stuff put together. God can take a fisherman and make him apostle, make him an apostle, sorry. God can take a murderer, because that's who Moses was. He can make him the father of the law, a leader of his people, a prophet himself. When we go up on the mountain, we have the opportunity to change. So as we think about ourselves, we should be encouraged. Like I said, we have gifts, we have talents, skills, abilities, but each of us are purposed and resourced to fulfill the task and plan that God has for us. We can see that happening right here in this piece of scripture. On top of that, the, 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 one of the most important parts about this scripture is that we get a little bit of a backstage pass into eternity. We get to see not only Moses and Elijah, but we get to see for the first time in scripture, um, more so than just being told about it, we get to see the triune God. In place. Now, this is going to get some theology, theology stuff going here, and it's, we're not going to try to sugarcoat this. The Trinity is probably one of the most difficult and most mysterious things about our faith, and understanding how um, three essences can, or three people can be of one essence. Um, and it, it's difficult, but we get to see it in action. We get to see it take place here. Jesus himself, he transforms. We get a look at what his divine nature 
looks like when it overpowers him in human nature. I'm looking at grace and porous because we talk about this in Bible study youth group, the 100% man, 100% God. And uh, that's, that doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> so Grayson's shaking his head. But he knows what I'm getting ready to say. 100% of one, one thing and 100% of another thing is possible. I am both 100, 100% the brother of Gregory Howard Ritter. If you don't know him, that's my, my 54-year-old brother. Okay, so, But I'm also 100% the son of Rena George Ritter. Both things, 100%. I'm not 50% this, 50% that. I'm also 100% the husband of Kelly Lynn Ritter. I'm more, even more than just two things. And so our nature, our essence of who we are and the nature of what we are changes based upon some of those perspectives. Now, Jesus is 100% human, and I know 100% divine. At the same time, we're talking about nature of things and different, but we can start to wrap our heads around what that looks like, and we are getting a picture of that in this piece of Scripture because even though he is 100% human, he is being transfigured. He's beginning to shine. He's radiating. His clothing is radiating. He's changing, and we're getting a glimpse of what he looks like in eternity, what he looks like in his divine state. And second, we get a glimpse of what the Holy Spirit is like. When Moses went up on the mountain, a cloud would surround it, the whole mountain, and you would see and feel the presence of God in that respect. It would happen around the tent of meeting. The, the Israelites would follow the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, and the Holy Spirit and his representation is seen here in this thick cloud, and out of it comes the voice of the Father, declaring, this is my son, commanding, listen to him. The heartbeat of that Father who declared creation to existence, who declared the commandments to us, to what we need to follow. We get a snapshot of all the fullness of the Godhead in this moment. This is exciting stuff for us, even, but for these three fishermen, this is blow your mind moment. We're just thinking about it, but they're seeing it, hearing it. There's eternal life. They're recognizing it for sure because here's Moses and Elijah. There's eternal life for them. There's purpose in that eternal life. There's true power from God that not only exists but interacts with us. It's huge. So I want you guys to think and put yourself in their shoes for a second. They've been walking around with this guy for a while now. They probably don't need to be convinced. Obviously, Peter already knows what's happening. He's done amazing things. He's been healing people, feeding tons of people with just little bits of food. He's made water out of, excuse me, wine out of water. He's cast out demons. He's done, excuse me, he's done some very amazing things. They're bought in, and he probably doesn't need to convince them, but then he's pulling out all the stops here. They get to spend quality time with the God of the universe. And then he says, hold up, let me show you something. And he burst into light. Then they're watching and talking with Moses and Elijah, Elijah and they're seeing this. And I'm, I'm wondering if, they, if these two guys are looking at them and going, yeah, that's real. Welcome to the club. We've seen this kind of stuff when we were alive too. I mean, this is, 
this is crazy. And Peter just does the, the best thing possible. He looks at Jesus and said, Lord, this is, this is a good place to be. This is a good place to be. All right, so what I want to do is I want to go get some tents. I want to go get some tabernacles, and I want to set them up here. Um, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's go camping. I want to camp out right here, right now. I want to stay right here. This is a good place to be. And then the whole mountain is covered with this cloud, and they're thinking, oh, man, this is just like what happened when Moses was happening. And then God speaks. And like Danny talked about, they went down on the ground face. It's a good place to be, but then they realize we are standing and we shouldn't be. Because not only is this a good place to be, this is a terrifying place to be. To stand before the living God. Makes me wonder, Moses had heard that voice he had seen something like that. He asked God to see, and as he passed by, he'd seen his, the, you know, his back. Holy ground, take your sandals off, Moses. Elijah had been in the storm and heard that voice whisper. And maybe it's a thundering noise they're hearing from God. Maybe it's just that whisper that they can't get. It's like Elijah had, and they're feeling all this seeing all of this, and then they're on their face. And Jesus touches them, and they look up, and it's all over. This little glimpse, this little envelope into what eternity looks like. And then probably for when I'm thinking about this, and when I'm looking at this, and what might be the most important part of this entire scripture, and one of the reasons I want to propose to us today is that why this is so important is verse 9 that says, as they were coming down the mountain. And the words of Jesus are important. Hey, don't tell anybody about this until after I'm already gone. We could spend a week talking about why he wanted that to happen. But the phrase, as they were coming down the mountain. And I feel like this is what we really need to understand, what we need to, to realize about these mountaintop experiences is that it's difficult sometimes to come down from those places. About um, three or four years ago, we were going through a really rough time in our lives, and I went on one of the retreats here at our church and was spending time, and we were on the mountains in Tennessee and uh, we've had an amazing afternoon with what God orchestrated for us, something I had never seen before. And we were in this deep moment of prayer that evening, and God walked me through some pictures in my mind. I felt like I was floating through the, <laughs> the world of places in my grandmother's house, sitting at her kitchen table, talking about being in ministry one day when I was a little kid places around my church when I was growing up, things that had happened, moments in my life where he was showing me in these, sec these little pictures, like places that had seeds had been planted and where I was because I was questioning who I was and where I was and God was telling me what was happening. And these moments on this mountaintop, all I wanted to do was just stay right there and I wanted to camp out and never leave that place. I would have been completely content and happy in that, that moment of prayer 
It's one of the most peaceful and amazing moments I've ever had in my walk. And opening my eyes from that was like being in a dream in a place somewhere along the lines, you know, when you have one of those dreams and it's so good and you're just like, this is perfect. And you're, you feel consciousness coming back and you're in your head and you're like, no. And then your eyes open up and you're like, dang it, it's over. And that's what I felt like in that moment. I could have been there forever and been happy. But there is a real life to live in. So many times we have these significant moments with God and all we want to do is stay in that mountaintop. We want to stay in that place. We want to get back to the same place that happened, whether it's even in the same location or even the same place. But God is not limited to that place. His power is not limited to that experience in that moment. It isn't, it isn't there to, for you to camp out. It's there for us to have seeds planted, to have hope planted, for God to empower us so that when we leave the mountaintop, we can live in the valley. And one of the things about this picture up here is, is the higher you get, the less life you see. Where we were standing at the top of this right behind us, you can kind of see this little bit of tree coming over the top there. There's this just death-looking tree. And that's like the only thing that's up there, and it's burnt, and it's scorched. And at this place, on this, on this mountainside, we are above the timber line. And nothing but cactus and little weird plants grow up there and brush, and that's it. But from that vantage point, I can see things in the valley that I haven't seen before. I can see um, the trail that I've been looking for. I can see it down there. I can understand what I need in my life in those moments when I'm in a spiritual mountaintop. I can see things like God sees it so that when I look back and I have to come down off that mountaintop, I now have a different perspective to live in the valley. The mountaintop is for us to gain confidence, perspective on the world that we live in, the things, to see things like God sees them maybe, but then to go back to the valley, to the struggle, to life, to work, school, our neighborhoods, our mission fields, our families, our friends, the, the stuff that we have to walk through every day because in that place is where things grow. It's where life is. But if we find ourselves tangled in the valley without mountaintop experiences, we lose our perspective. So God takes us there. Don't have this on the screen, but later on in Scripture, Peter, this is long after the, the resurrection, and Jesus told them to wait till he was gone to share what had happened to them because there were people who might question. And he says this in 2 Peter 1, 16, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him and on the holy mountain. It wasn't a story. It wasn't a fable. It wasn't a really good book he read, and it made him think about some stuff. He stood 
in the glory, in the power, in the presence of the living God. And when somebody questioned him, he's like, listen, this isn't a story that I know. This is something I have experienced. I have been to the mountaintop. Mountaintop experiences are important for us. I don't know if you've had one. I don't know how long it's been since you've had one. If not, if you've never had one, God really does want to take you to the mountaintop. It's not just for special people. It's not just for the people who seem like they've got all their stuff together or the skills or the talents or the giftings or all this kind of stuff. It's for knuckleheaded fishermen. It's for murderers. It's for the weak. It's for the strong. It's for every one of us for him to remove us from our regular environments, put us on a place where we can see how he sees. If you've been to the mountaintop and you're just living to get back there, make sure that you are in the process of preparing. Living in the valley, gather the tools you need. Don't just take one bottle of water up the mountain. Spend time in your scripture. Spend time in in prayer. Build a relationship with Jesus so that when he says, hey guys, let's, um, let's go take a trip. And you go up the mountain, you're ready. If it's been a while since you've been there and you've lost your perspective or the memory of those experiences, stock up and get ready. Folks, it's um, mountaintops. I still think in my heart I would love to, to just be there all the time. If I had the choice, like I said, when we, when we could choose where we would go, that's where I would choose. But they have purpose. They have meaning for us so that we can live right here and then we can take other people with us. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And God, I know that in these moments when we think about the times in our lives when you've spoken to us, the times in our lives when you've said things that um, have passed by what is normal, but you have taken us to a place that we, we have experienced you or we have seen your glory, God. God, sometimes we just want to camp out there. We just want to live right there, and we don't want to leave that spot. But God, you are in the process of purposing us. You're in the process of resourcing us, God, so that we can go back into the valley, so we can go back into the place where we grow. And God, thank you for being our friend. Thank you for loving us, to take us on these journeys. Thank you for bringing us to those places. And God, I pray that this morning, For those of us who have been to the mountaintop, God, that you would help us to remember it, to remember the perspective, to remember what it looked like. So, God, when we step back into the valley, that we can feel your presence and your power still walking with us. For those of us who maybe say we've never had that experience, God, I pray that you would open up and pour your spirit upon each person in this room, God, but for those who really need that moment where they they are taken on a journey with you to a place where they can gain that perspective, God. God, that your spirit would draw them and guide them to that place.
Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you are willing to expose your divinity to us. That we can see behind the curtain enough to see who you are and how you love us. And your glory and your power. God, you're so good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.